<laughs> the huge fellas. <laughs> do they have knobs? Uh, nah, do oh, they? Yeah. It's their no. hair. It's their hair, my dude. Their oh, in the game? No, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> oh, not that the, fuck, that raises so many questions. The, the oh, modern well, community will get on that eventually. Digital playground parody you're watching, mate. That's... Um... <laughs> Welcome to the Well Played DLC Podcast, Australia's juiciest gaming podcast. I am Zach Jackson, joined by James Wood. Howdy, gamers. Adam Ryan. Oh, hello there. Nathan Hennessy. Hello. And Mr. Ash Whaling. All the way from Tasmania. How you doing? I'm not too bad. How are you, sir? Good. Tired, but good. That's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear. How's that? How's, how? How's everybody else? I'm great. I'm I'm on the mend. I I've had an ear infection that became like a gland problem. Uh, Oof, those wow. aren't fun. Would it not was recommend migrating. It at all. What? Yeah, it was like causing basically the entire right hand side of my face and neck to start like seizing up internally. Uh, it was right. unpleasant. But <laughs> we're here now. We're, we're on the other side. Wouldn't uh, miss it's it, all happening. Wouldn't miss the podcast for the world, would you, James? I couldn't think of possibly missing this. This is like a remedy, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> Too early for that segue, you? mate. Come on. <laughs> I was hey. thinking that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, how are you going with your ailment? Myself? Hmm. All right. Well, at the risk of not getting censored, my uh, aftermath of the... <laughs> Has me quite foggy, mate. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh dear! I've never heard that before. Anyway, it's because like last week, I just coined it on the spot, mate. I'm nothing if not original, but also a little Ooh. bit fatigued, as I say. I'm I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a little right, slower yeah. than normal, but uh, I think I'm coming back to coming back up. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well, you probably have a you've had a tough recovery period because uh, you know. You've played a game that I've played and that we'll talk about very soon that wouldn't have helped with anything. So, yeah, look, it Ash, wasn't a smooth road to recovery, but yeah. Ash, 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 you Hello. went overseas. Absolutely. I've just returned from the. Yeah, Melbourne. That is the place that I went overseas. <laughs> Tasmania. It's a little joke because there's water between the two islands. It got me. No, but for real, I went to another island. I went to uh, Japan. It was wonderful. Oh, the Great Nippon. The land of the rising sun as it was. Yeah, it was pretty groovy. Not bad. Definitely recommend. Cool. Oh, well. That's it. That's yeah. the entire thing. <laughs> All right. Well, what, a great time. What, what was time. the uh, three best things you did in Japan? Oh, that's an easy one. Okay, sure. So we went around a couple of different places. I uh, went to a place called Hakone, which has a lot of pretty awesome hot springs. So probably not going to have any particular order for these top three things but i will say one of the things is genuine hot spring bath which is fantastic because uh clothing is not allowed and i was traveling with two people who probably weren't massively comfortable with the idea of just sort of whipping into a room with your wang out but <laughs> it led to a fantastic little conversation regarding oh, i can wear my towel in there surely i'm like maybe and he opened the door is like nope no towels in there <laughs> that's a no that's a good growing moment Growing moment? It uh, is. Moment. 
Was everything censored? <laughs> Ooh, growing moment. See, here's the thing. I wear glasses and I couldn't wear them in there, so I took them off and I couldn't see anything. Everything was pre-censored for me. All I got was a vague idea of sort of size, but very little else. That's an authentic Japanese freckle. experience, man. <laughs> I was going to say, everything was censored regardless. Um, second really cool thing was uh, probably when I was in uh, Kyoto, I went to a place called Nishiki Market, which is like, it's like a little mall thing, but like a long corridor. And it's just endless, but awesome. T- lots of tiny little eateries and basically everything's on a stick. You want a squid? It's on a stick. You want to eat octopus? It's on a stick. Do you want to eat a chicken thigh? It's on a stick. Yeah, a whole squid on a stick. And then there was birds. No, 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 no. No, a sparrow. And I was like, okay, I didn't have one. I didn't want one. But that was was pretty neat. Um, And then number three. So how much meat you get off that sparrow? Let's let's be honest. Not a lot. The main reason. Yeah, quail quail's more work than it's, you know, nutrient. Yeah. I think you lose weight trying to eat quail because you spend more time <laughs> trying to get at it. Um, probably number three, and again, no particular order, but I went to uh, Universal Studios Japan and I got to go to the Mushroom Kingdom, which was pretty groovy. How good. Okay. I thought, it's pretty the, neat. What do you well, do in the Mushroom Kingdom? Well, it's kind of interesting. They designed it so it's, it's all-encompassing, so when you walk in there, you can't see the rest of the park, but um, everything, like... When you turn up, you have the option to buy a watch kind of thing. It's like a it's like an IR code thing that you put on your wrist, and that lets you interact with the park. And there's like there's coin blocks that you can go and punch, and they go ding. And then there's like power up blocks. Um, remember at the end of one of the original ones, how you get like the slot machine and you try and like mm-hmm. you know match the things. They have that in a corner, and you can try and do it. And all of the points get transferred to an app on your phone, and depending on the watch that you bought, is what team you're on. And every couple of hours, there's a leaderboard to see which team wins. Adorable. And I was Team Daisy, because nobody wants to be Team Daisy. I was just going to say, could you be Team Daisy? That's yeah. amazing. I love this. Yeah, you couldn't be Wario. You definitely couldn't be Waluigi. Nah. nah. Fuck that piece of shit. Um, and the cool thing is, around <laughs> the park, there's five secret keys that if you complete the activity to get the key, there is a ride, and you're only allowed to go on the ride if you get all of the keys. Excellent. If the next question out of your mouth is, how is the ride? My answer is, I didn't get all the keys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was terrible at it. But um, the the ride that I did go on was the Mario Kart ride. And it's this ridiculous augmented reality thing. Like, you sort of got to put on a Mario cap and these uh, goggles to make it work. I assumed that because it was augmented reality, it would be hot dog shit. But it wasn't. It was bananas. I, it, like, you know how Mario Kart Double Dash had two people in the cart? Mm. The best Mario this Kart, one had, yeah. This one had four, baby. Double the good. Whoa. And uh, you quite literally race Bowser and other people. You get shells. You can shoot them. There's hazards. It was bananas. To quote Gwen Stefani, B-A-N-A-N-A-S, bananas. Really good. What a random uh, comment, considering Adam and I were speaking about Gwen Stefani. Very like, strange. She, if anyone's <laughs> going to teach your kids about bananas, it has to be Gwen Stefani. So there you go. Sure. We started hmm. at uh, Universal Studios Japan. We ended with Gwen Stefani. The natural progression. Ash has put on a, uh, a bullet bill cap for those playing along at home. It now, was I a have sunny a controversial day. take. Sure. Uh, bullet bill, oh, no. kind of hot. Oh, yeah. God. Well, think about I, I it. You're saying problematic. <laughs> quite firm. <laughs> problematic. No, I have no desire to cancel. Um, I don't know. There's something about the uh, those eyes, the, the determination, the spacing. It just works. I know, and he's got his little hands as well on the side. He does have his little hands, and yeah. look at what he's looks like. 
absolutely. Well, I mean, the bullet bill in itself is sort of a turgid, long black object, isn't it? Mmm. <laughs> mmm. Forceful. But this one has hands. Yes. So think it's of those possibilities. Masculine strength. Yeah. Um, Opposable thumbs. The Actually, one of the coolest things about the place was just the merch stall because it's designed like um, it's designed like Mario Maker. Sounds weird. Oh. There's like cogs and steam and stuff going off, but it's like it's absolutely massive. And the amount of stuff in there, you get spoiled for choice. So, yeah, I came away with a Bullet Bill hat. Um, my mate got a Boo hat. There was a Boo hat that you could like push a little button and the little hands would cover up the eyes. Ridiculous. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's absolutely crazy. bananas. And the highlight was that as we were leaving, we got to see Princess Peach. And they get to wear like this head that like makes the person look just like Princess Peach, but it's animatronic. So oh. she was talking like I was like, "Oh, that's a pretty cool Princess Peach." And then she leaned down to a little girl and said, "I hope you're enjoying your time in my kingdom." And I was like, "Holy shit, the lip synced! Oh my god, <laughs> ridiculous, amazing, brilliant, nice. bananas, Gwen Stefani." What What was the Aussie dollar like for in Japan? Mm. Um, almost equivalent. It was kind of ridiculous. Okay. So like, like one Australian dollar is about a hundred and something yen, I think, or slightly less. So basically, if slightly you're gonna, less. if something's five hundred yen, it's gonna be like five dollars and twenty cents. Okay. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. You just sort of move the decimal point, and you you got it. Andy, sure. that's five hundred and twenty yen. Okay, it's five dollars and forty cents. Easy. Hmm. Nice. Hmm. Very cool. It's definitely yeah. worth. Definitely worth. Check it out. Excellent. Anyone got pl- any plans to go to Japan? I, I think, Adam, are you going I do. to Japan? Oh. oh, look out. Yeah, James and I are going oh. together. It'll be wonderful. Mm-hmm. We're going to go hang out with Bullet Bill. Um, no, yeah, Key and I are planning on going more or less this time next year. So that will it's definitely be on the list. such a good time to do it on the list. Because it's right before the tourism season. So, like, yeah, everyone that's the plan. packed. The weather's gorgeous and everyone's super friendly to you because, you know, they're not getting run off their feet with a bunch of annoying tourists. <laughs> Jameson, when are you going? Uh, I will be heading up in April of 2025 for Star Wars Celebration. Oh, oh sick. Yeah. Uh, it's like a big three-day Star Wars convention. Four-day, possibly even. Yeah, it's um, the fucking Star Wars it's like, it's, Yeah, it's like a the Star Wars event. I, I didn't think I had much of a desire to go, but I've got like a really good mate over in Japan. I've always wanted to go. I'm just going to tack on an extra week on the end and fuck around in Japan for a bit. Do so. it. Nice. Can yeah. I give you my top Japan hit uh, tip? Yeah, go for it. Get a coin purse. Yes. I already have three. So. Yeah. yeah. Or, I mean, when you get there, find a nice one and buy that one. But just the okay. coins are serious business over yeah. there. And yeah. that was a, that was a second-hand tip. The conventional wallets don't get you far. Good stuff. Uh, you need someone to put your notes, but your coins. Like, if you walk past an arcade, you need coins. And the arcades mm. are sick. So yeah. just have your coins. You'll just drown in 100 yen pieces, but it's a good drowning. Nice. Hmm. Cool. A good drowning. Alrighty, let's talk video games and uh, keeping in with the the Japan and Mario theme. James, you have been previewing a game that fits those two things. I forgot the name. Super Mario RPG. I have. Super Mario RPG. Yeah, so uh, as part of the review process, we're able to give a a little preview. Now, admittedly, I have not played a huge amount of this yet. I'd say I'm about an hour into the experience, so it's it's still very early days. Um, Is this one of those RPGs with like 40 hours of content? I sincerely hope not, but we will find (laughs) out together on Well Played. Um, No, yeah, it's uh, so this is a remake of the uh, Nathan. I think you sort of alluded to the fact that you had a bit of a relationship with this game, right? The Mm -hmm. original, you you sort of had some thoughts on it, but that was from when that was on the SNES, right? Correct, yeah, 
Yeah. I couldn't tell you how uh, old it is now. It's is this old. A, 1996. Is this a remake? There you go. Yeah, so this is a, oh. a remake in the same vein as... Uh, remember that Zelda remake they did a while back where the art style became very kind of like plasticky and toy-like? Um, is that um, the one on the 3DS? No, no, the no. Switch one, Link's Adventure. Uh, Link's Awakening. Oh. Link's Awakening. Link's Awakening. DX or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, apparently oh. so, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so it, it sort of has a, a similar vibe as that. Everything looks very uh, isometric, toy-like. It is crisp as fuck. This thing looks incredible on a Switch OLED, so that has been a really nice surprise. Um, it is a turn-based RPG, though, uh, which is very, very strange for Mario. You walk around a little hub open area between or sort of like levels are delineated by these small short areas where you can walk around enemies but you can engage with some of them to find bonus objectives and whatnot and then once you actually get into battles it is a you know it's turn-based rpg battling system um there are active button time presses that you can use to deal more damage or protect yourself at this point i am shockingly dog shit at them and i don't know if it's because they're not tuned correctly or because i'm terrible at the system um <laughs> but it is it is a nightmare to get it right so far anyway um and yeah like it's it's super mario rpg like it, it's it's sort of got this uh reputation for being a very strange game a very odd sort of spin-off that exists within the the franchise uh so far based on what i've seen Peach is kidnapped, Bowser's castle is involved, and there is there is a big talking sword that has emerged out of the castle to be like, I've got big plans for your world, Mr. Mario. And that's been it. Uh, that's the strangest thing I've seen so far. Everything else seems pretty Mario to me. There's, there's Goombas, there's shell people, you know, you, you know the players of a Mario game. We're, we're across this. Um, shell people? Yeah, you mean Koopas? Yeah, why not? That works too. A um, lot of toads. I, I do think the writing is is funny so far. Uh, I wish there was some voice acting that that would I think go a long way to maybe elevate this experience, uh, make it a bit more of like an engaging, cartoony kind of feel. I think- for the um, remake, didn't they change it slightly mm. that while there isn't full voice acting, they do have like character vocalizations when they speak? Yeah, from memory, there's that you're kind of like. Ah! Yeah. That, that kind of bullshit. You get a you Luigi-esque yeah. sound when Luigi yeah, speaks. It, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, look, so far I am charmed. I am a little concerned about how um, it, it's it's a very bare bones presentation outside of the incredible like aesthetics and art direction. Like the actual UI and stuff and the, the flow in battles is very just plain, I guess is the best way I can describe it. And so I do wonder how that is going to feel over the course of the entire game. Um, but yeah, look, I'm intrigued. We'll see how we go. I suppose it was advanced for its time being a Super Nintendo game. Oh, so yes. Yeah. It's amazing. Got that decades. We, <coughs> it's amazing that we didn't quite get like a full-fledged uh, Super Mario RPG since then. Yes, truly. I mean, I think this one only showed up on the eShop. We never actually got it officially released here, I think, if my memory I think you're me right. correctly. Um, well, I think you're right. Australia never got physical copies, I'm pretty sure. The Wii U eShop, I think. Oh, really? One okay. of those older networky ones, yeah. Um, yeah. So, look, we'll, we'll see. I am, I am optimistic. I think it looks cool so far. Nice. Uh, when does that release? Sorry? Oh, November 18th. Sounds right. Sure. By uh, the time we have the review out, we'll we'll nut that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, you've been a busy boy uh, the last couple of weeks. Give us one of your uh, games. Talk to us about Alan Wake Two. You are the reviewer for World Play. We did speak about it last week from Big Big Ralph shared his thoughts, uh, but you've had a chance yeah. to dive in. Is uh, Big Ralph talks a lot of game, but is uh, he does is this game a lot of game? 
So we more or less wrapped up the the podcast um, on the Tuesday night and I went downstairs like 10, 30, 11 o'clock, started playing it. And I feel like I didn't stop playing it until 15 to 17 hours had passed. Like I just woke Holy up crap. from a haze and had <laughs> finished the game. Um, a, because the, the turnaround was quite tight. Got to do what you got to do. But B, because the game is fucking exceptional and I didn't want to stop playing it at any juncture. Um, so I, I won't go on and on about it because uh, Ralph pretty well surmised it last time we spoke about it. But yeah, the game is exceptional. Split into two very distinct portions where you play as Saga Anderson, who is the new character. She's a detective. Um, she's banging around in the real world Bright Falls, which was the setting of the first Alan Wake. And it's very much a, like a mystery detective style adventure. Obviously, there's still the the flashlight uh, pistol combo shooting. It's it's still survival horror, but it's a bit more grounded. And then you flick over to Alan Wake, who's trapped in the dark place, and it is just batshit insane. It's like a an upside down version of New York. So lots of neon lights wet streets, like dingy alleys, all that, that, that kind of thing. And it's just packed full of just surreal imagery and these awful like shadow people that can materialize and attack you as well as the environment that's constantly changing and shifting and moving. And, and as Alan Wake, you can use uh, different story threads to kind of change reality in the dark place as well. So there's two really super distinct gameplay styles and you can switch in and out between them uh, however you wish. So once you're past like the opening hour in any safe room as Saga or Alan, you can switch to the other and just play through for however long you like. If you get to the end of their story, then you switch over to the other and you play through the rest or you can do like chapter for chapter. Um, but yeah, like the, it's visually is stunning. I think it it's probably Remedy's best looking game, which says a lot cuz control was beautiful. It's it's gorgeous and it's it's different obviously cuz control was very fast and kinetic. This is a lot slower uh and more deliberate. Um but yeah, the visuals are outstanding. The sound design is absolutely incredible. The tension that it it allows the game to build is fantastic. The combat is good it's not like ralph said last week it's not on the same level as something like resi 4 uh but it still has a lot of weight and some good weapon variety as well uh the dodge can be a little bit finicky and i found a couple of scripted moments get a little bit chaotic like you're running away from an entity it can be a little bit hard to know exactly where the game wants you to go to be honest those are the two main gripes i had with the game outside of that they were very negligible. I gave it a 9.5. I think this is one of the best and most unique survival horror games I've played in a very, very long time. Solid. Nathan, you've, I think you've dabbled? No, not yet. Oh, okay. Well, I'll take that back. No dabbling. Do you have a question, Nathan? No dabbling. No, I, I, I've heard as much as I'm prepared to hear. I just need to get my hands on this thing now. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm delighted that all the discussion I've heard around this has kept plot specifics to a minimum. 
Mm. Writing the review for this was painful because I really wanted to explain how fucking weird the game is and how crazy shit becomes. But (laughs) even alluding to like specific chapters that the crazy things happen is too much. Like I knew from the review guide that something was going to go down at a specific chapter. So I was ready for it. I wasn't ready for it. It's like, (laughs) there's some crazy, it's like Twin Peaks, X-Files, True Detective, all rolled into one, but it's uniquely its own at the same time. Game is amazing. I absolutely loved it. Just quick question, like sidebar question. Should I watch Twin Peaks before I play this? No. I don't think you need to. I've just never watched it, and I've always wanted to, a reason to watch it. Oh, I'll, gi- I'll give you a heads up. I <laughs> He's just looking for it. Overrated. I also think it's overrated in certain ways. I think it it maybe inspired things that ended up being better. Agreed. But there, there's a lot. There's a lot to like. There are the the parts are good, but the the whole is a little bit underwhelming. I find. Yeah. Well, Step, stepping yeah. out of your hole then and going to a side sidebar. Do I need to play the other Alan Wake games? To Very good question. No. This one? I I didn't finish the first Alan Wake. It, I just couldn't quite... I couldn't quite jive with it. Same with Control. I thought it was fa- fantastic. There was something about it that didn't grab me. You bet your ass I'm going to go back to it now. Mm. Um, but I watched like a 10-minute recap and I was ready to go. If you didn't do that, you could still understand it because Saga is a really great... Um, like step in for the character. She she's like, "What the oh. fuck is this? Who's Alan Wake? He's just an author." <laughs> so she does. She's like a, a good entry point for. She's just a great inserted character. To be exactly. Like, and in case you missed out, this is literally. Yeah. Who you are. So they do a really good job with that. And but <laughs> I think if you've played Control and at and the first Alan Wake, and who knows, maybe even one of Remedy's other games, Zach, um, you'd probably get a lot from it as well. I can proudly say I've finished, I think every every remedy game outside of Crossfire, even going back to like uh, Death Rally or whatever. So I, I'm excited at well. the prospects. Yep. Can I ask uh, gingerly? I guess so. I'm replaying the first Alan Wake at the moment. I just wanted to finish it before I dived into two. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of perception around that game is that some of its like hammier, cheesier writing was actually very intentional, right? And like part mm-hmm. of that game's appeal is that. It was dialed up to 12. Um, for everything I've seen from Alan Wake 2 seems like it takes itself a bit more seriously might be the wrong word, but like it seems uh, more convinced of its horror and its actual kind of like darker tone. Um, is there a, that levity in there as well? Or Absolutely. Is it... I think it, it okay. toes the line exceptionally well. Like there's a great balance. Cool. There, there can be some really dark, at times confronting things like themes that mm-hmm. it explores. Um, but then you'll see a commercial for Coffee World, which is an attraction outside of Bright Falls right. that is so <laughs> fucking hammy that you'll you'll genuinely laugh at it. Like I sat there cackling to myself and Keith thought I was a fucking maniac. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the game is so fucking weird and it deals with dark and comedic really, really well. Nice, sweet. Cool, we can check out the review over on the website. Now, let's swing around the table and go to Nathan. Talk about, you're a bit, you're looking a bit thirsty over there, mate. Sure, why not? Right, right out of the bag of amazing segues. (laughs) 
So yeah, that was the a low-hanging fruit there for Thirsty Suitors. So I'll keep this one brief. <laughs> Thirsty Suitors is a very colourful, high contrast, a little adventure game with a sort of turn-based RPG combat and skating exploration. An unusual little mishmash. You play as Jala, who is a young adult woman. She's gone back to her very intimate, small, little backwards hometown of Timber Hills following a breakup that we learn more about as the game continues. And as she's come back home, uh, she comes bearing a lot of uh, guilt and has to sort of fly under the radar of the town's uh, gossiping aunties as last time she was here, she made quite a bit of a name for herself. Everyone knows everyone in this town. So she has a reputation for uh, inciting a little bit of drama. And she also has a string of ex-lovers in the town who see this as their opportunity to spice up their lives again. Oh, you know, our, our jilted ex-lover is back in town, so we're all going to compete for her because the simple fact is in this town not enough happens. So the fact that Jala has returned is a big event. So uh, Jala, it's it's a very grounded sort of story uh, that takes a lot of... Um, Spends a lot of time sort of talking about Jala, her family, their kind of cultural background. She's from, uh, I think her parents are from Sri Lanka. So the game really likes to revel in sort of dishing up, literally and metaphorically, little aspects of their culture, which is terrifically well written. There's a lot of tongue in cheek. There's a lot of smiles to be had. Each character is, in my opinion, fully realized in a, in a comic sense. You know, they're not fully fleshed out characters are going to make you, you know, laugh, cry, etc. But they are very amusing and I had a great time meeting them. I genuinely wanted to meet each of the new ex-lovers because they are so comically absurd at times. Um, and generally what will happen is um, you will go about town uh, just trying to effectively find your way. Jala's trying to kind of figure her life out, you know, in a kind of, you know, the, the don't nod sort of, um, human exploration and while she's doing so uh, as she meets her ex-lovers generally uh, she's got to try and fend them off because they're thirsty they want some ajar so she, what ends up happening is uh, quite often there's these kind of very theatrical fights that play out where you're kind of okay I'll take, I'll take a pause the, the gameplay is very much in service to the writing. So what often happens is as you enter into these combat scenarios and you're throwing attacks, which are often illustrated by kind of throwing like love heart, mystical, ephemeral is this, shit at one is another. Is some kind of vaguely Indian Scott Pilgrim kind of Absolutely. thing? Absolutely. What a brilliant... Like, I've never heard that before, but... Ash has fucking nailed it. So yeah, kind of wow. Indian Scott Pilgrim is absolutely bang on the money for what this is trying to do. Um, as, as you're throwing attacks, you're building up this kind of special meter, which allows you to throw taunts. Uh, taunts are usually just like barbed insults or flirtations that open up the enemy to take further damage from subsequent special attacks. Um, there's a bit of an issue here. Uh, that is, there's not a whole lot of depth to the combat. Uh, when you're throwing attacks, you're usually just sitting there waiting for dialogue to be interspersed amongst the, the combat. That's really amusing. You'll be attacking and then a character just kind of starts to emotionally break down or just get really fucking horny. And that becomes the cadence of the fight. You've just got to pivot to what's happening now and... Uh, if, if they're really horny, you might need to just try and like calm them down and that might be their weakness. 
thematically, that sounds really good. In execution, there's not really much at play here. It's just going through all of the different taunts until you find the one that they're vulnerable to. Most of them they'll be resistant to. Uh, once you've used that taunt, it's then just pummeling them with some special attacks. Special attacks, uh, quick time events. Notably, quick time events in this game don't feel good. Uh, they are well out of tune. So in most quick time events in games, you would expect to wait till the circle encloses into a particular sphere and then press X or something like that. You know, it's timed and it's very there's a very clear telegraph. You press the button when it enters the sphere, right? In Thirsty Suitors, you do that, you're going to get a bad result. Thirsty Suitors always expects you to interact with the prompts before they've met their visual marker. And that is something that I never really got around. And for a game that is, is it's, it's only real complexity is those quick time events. And the fact that they aren't tuned uh, it leads to not what I would say frustration, but a great sense of discomfort. So combat, that's really all that's going for it. Quick time events, there's not really stats. There's not really building. There are stats there. I'm going to say they don't really mean anything because I never really felt that they did. Just kind of get, got me, gave me an impression that I was rewarded for a battle. I've got th some points to distribute into one of three stats. Uh, stats being like the Bohemian, the Heartbreaker, the Star. These vague archetypes that in practice, I don't really think they mean anything. Anyway, aside from that, uh, exploration you, you get you can go to different areas of timber hills and generally you'll just be hopping on your skateboard and skating around sounds cool looks cool not a great lot of fun to play big issue is there's no camera controls in this game whatsoever so the camera just kind of sticks to your back and it becomes quite difficult to see there might be like um, a collectible that's above you it's vertical you can't pan the camera Ew. up to see it so you're just relying on the fact that the camera might eventually swing by uh, uh, objective interest and you're like, okay, I know that this is in that area. I just can't see it. Big problem. Uh, and then the skating is, is just pretty rudimentary. It's uh, really clumsy. You can't, it's, it's very Tony Hawk 4. You can't get off the skateboard. So you're always dealing with this kind of forward motion that you've kind of, let's say you've got to go up a walkway. You're sort of swinging left and right, left and right. And then you got to do a 180 and a 180 just until you can eventually get up that walkway. So it's a little bit clumsy. And the tricks are just like, if you're doing, if you jump onto a rail and you're, grinding it just flicking the thumbstick in every direction like if you spin the, the thumbstick around in 360 you're doing like six different tricks like that's all the complexity of the skateboarding just flicking your thumbstick as you're doing a grind or something like that there's no balance there's no complexity there's no risk so all in all i think uh 30 tutors really well written like the characters uh haven't finished it about to finish it but it hasn't uh, wowed me. It hasn't set my world on fire. It's not a game I've enjoyed playing, but it's been a game that I've had a lot of enjoyment watching and just being a part of and vibing with. So if I was to score it at the moment, I'd probably land it on about a seven, I think. I, I think it's it's vibe, it's presentation, does all of the heavy lifting. The gameplay's not bad. It's just a bit undercooked. Would you prefer if it was that you mentioned don't nod? Would you prefer if it was something more akin to say like life is strange or those just kind of make choices, walk around, enjoy the the story kind of experiences? You know what? I think I kind of would. I think I kind of would. I, th I genuinely 
didn't want to do the skateboarding sections after the first couple of times. And I genuinely didn't want to play. Co- I avoided combat outside of those mm. uh, suitors, outside of the exes, How? because there's just no there's no depth there. But when I'm walking around the house and talking to my mum and dad, it kind of felt like a 2000s adventure game, kind of like the early Telltale games. And I actually kind of dug that. So I think that right there, that kind of adventure game capacity that they're trying to operate in is the, the best that Thirsty Suits yeah. is. Sidebar open query. How bad is it when you're playing a game, you encounter a mechanic and you just think to yourself, ah, oh, fuck, this is going to keep popping up, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that, you, you'll you see that within the first, within the first hour of Thirsty Suitors, you've seen everything. Uh, like your, your expectations of that experience will be defined and there will be nothing to break that. Um, so if you're not entirely on board with the, with the kind of South Park stick of truthy combat, <laughs> Um, which is very pared back compared to South Park and the Stick, Stick of Truth, Truth, mind you. It just Jesus. very much resembles More simplistic it. than Stick of Truth? It's what more simplistic than Stick of Truth, which was already very what? rudimentary. Uh, so I just want to make it clear. Rudimentary gameplay, <laughs> very, very detailed, heartfelt, funny writing that is quite comical, right. quite tongue-in-cheek, so very likeable. So it's a generous seven carried by the cast. Absolutely. Cool. All right, very, very quickly. James, you've also been playing this for Presta. Any mm. thoughts or um, ancillary um, comments you want to add to that? I just I, I echo most of what um, Nathan has said there. Like, I I think that you, if you vibe with this, it will carry you very, very far. Um, you just can kind of ignore a lot of its uh, sh- shortcomings is a strong word, but, like, it does feel a little underbaked at times in, in its systems. Um, I will say also to Adam's point, there was several times, so the way that the confrontations with the X's work out is you have, you know, turn-based combat, but then interspersed with that, you have these, like, incredibly well-written character moments where the two ca- the two people are coming to terms with, like, the trauma they've been through or their experiences that they've had together. And I just wanted to have, like, a, like a Telltale-style conversation with them, basically, where I just wish I could have enjoyed the people talking. Um, I think the combat is like a, a fine thematic ish representation of what the game is trying to do with somebody coming back into your life and the, the tit for tat and the to and fro of, of damage done to one another. But you know, it's, it's just, yeah, I, I always wanted to get back to the conversations and the cutscenes. Um, so just very, very quickly before we move on from that one, um, this studio, I believe I just had a quick look. Has only done a VR game before, and that was Falcon Age. Okay, mm. I mean in that sense, then well think, done. I yeah. think we've, I think we were quite high on Falcon Age. So Falcon yeah. Age, yeah, Falcon Age was well good. from memory. Very nice. All right, uh, let's quickly scroll back up to the list here. Who can go next? I guess I've. Well, I may as well. Ooh, the yeah. old threat box going. So I, I don't know what I mean. Uh, I <laughs> the old throat box. <laughs> Yeah, you really want to gloss over that, but I think it needs to be addressed. Throat box. <laughs> now that we've confronted you about it, you can take your throat box and continue on your <laughs> way. Mate, he, can, say... he can store a fair bit in that throat. <laughs> Powered by Blue Heaven. All right, I have uh, been reviewing, uh, or been playing and reviewing Quantum Error, which, if you don't know, uh-huh. is a first-person... Well, it's a uh, PS5 exclusive... Yes, no PS4 version. So yeah, PS5 exclusive uh, video game. Now... (laughs) Okay, all right. We go from throat box to clarifying it as a video game. This is a bad game. 
This is a oh. bad, bad game. Now, I unfortunately didn't uh, hit embargo, even though I, I had the code for quite a while, but I was not expecting it to be this bad. And I've had substantial issues. And so, for context, I've not hit credits. I think. Is, is this the rough... game that you had the clip of Old Mate walking past you out of nowhere? Yep. So oh, this, okay. this is the game. Uh, the, sorry, this game is. I think I'm sixty-ish percent through of the of, of the game, or just over halfway. And the devs told me in an interview prior that it was fifteen-ish hours to finish. My PS5 says I've played this game for thirty-five hours. I'd believe it. Holy! I'd believe it. Holy! Whoa! And I'm at sixty percent. Uh, yeah, probably died a bazillion times. I'm not, I'm not too sure. I'm just having. Have you guess. neglected a sprint button or something? Well, they just neglected to make a good game. So, but let's get into that. So, <laughs> all right. This is set in twenty two one oh nine. So the year two thousand one hundred nine, and Thank you play as a uh, fireman named Jacob Thomas. He's a captain of some fire department in San Francisco. There's a fire outbreak at a offshore uh, research facility for a company called Monard, and you basically go out there to, to fight this fire. And, uh, of course, there's there's more been going on at this facility. Now, this facility, sorry, this company uh, has an AI, which is called Argus, and uh, supposedly this AI is like... Uh, ingrained in in every in everyday life you don't really get any kind of uh more information than that and then it doesn't really delve into kind of more more than that so but that's sort of the context this this company is in like control of this ai program that does this anyway so you uh, go out to this to this island there's been a fire with a with a couple of crewmates and then uh yeah, basically, it turns out that something's gone wrong. An unknown entity has attacked the um, facility and you get separated from your team and you go and explore. You go and explore the... You go and explore the facility and try and survive. Now, this game is absolutely overwhelmed and burdened by its level of ambition. This game wants to do so many things and in it's now this is quite a cool little thing uh, on paper. It's developed by a group of four brothers. So this is just four developers have made this game. So when you think about that, it's you know, they've done a pretty good job to get the game out there and for what it is, right? But the game is just not good. It tries to do too much and none of it is is any kind of good. They they should have scaled it right back. And um, what else have focus. they done? Anything? Is this their first try? And they've just decided they to go like, like a game deep, called deep end? Kings of Lawn or something. I can't remember the name of it, but it, they did it. But this is way way bigger than than that. Anyway, so the the the, the game essentially starts. It puts you in this tutorial, <laughs> this oh tutorial uh, thing. And there's no real context, right? You just in this, it drops you into this street. There's an assault rifle on the ground, and it's just like, okay, fucking sweet, like, go for it. And then you're getting shot, and then you're dead, right? Because these, these enemies are like, their their aim is on point, and the damage they they do is is huge. And instantly, you you feel that the gameplay, all the gunplay, is super dated. It is 
clunky. It is slow. It is within the first five minutes, you know that this game is not fun. This is not a fun game that you're going to be playing. It is. But it is cheap. The, I died about a, a dozen, maybe twenty times in the tutorial. That like, blows my mind. Yeah, it took me a long time to get out of the tutorial. And it's not even an example of what the game is. If you play that tutorial, you'll assume this is a really shitty Call of Duty type game, which is So it is, it's a shooter, yeah. Well, it's a a third person, sorry, it's a first person slash third person shooter with cosmic horror elements slash fireman simulator. (laughs) That's Sorry, it. what? Yeah, okay. you nailed it. That last point. <laughs> yeah, that that just came out of nowhere. Sure. Like, on like the concept or the premise here is actually quite cool. So the story is actually relatively interesting. There's there's a core idea that is that it's got some you know it's got some how you do it. It's got some you know some some balls I want to grab, but the actual act of playing it just <laughs> is no good, man. And so. Once you once Nathan would have, would have got got past this tutorial, you then you then do another tutorial um, as a fireman. The real so tutorial. Then you, then you kind of walk back to like current day or before day. I don't know what it was, but you're essentially uh, your main character and you're going through his fireman test, and it it's the it's the game's way of int- introducing you to all the tools that the fireman that he has. Right. So you have a uh, a weapon wheel. Uh, on the right and a tool equipment wheel on the left right and that's done by true uh, by pushing either the left d-pad or the right button on the d-pad in this probably tutorial, twice because the game never responds to most inputs we'll get there um <laughs> so you've got like an axe so you got yeah you got an axe and you can cut like fences and shit and you got a crowbar and the crowbars are they use to open the crates and then you have a saw that can cut through other walls then you have this thing called the jaws of life which can crush pipes uh, and open other doors and then there's fucking who knows what else there's a, a gas mask there's a fucking uh, heat thermometer thing maybe a google pixel so it's a who full knows, on firefighter so simulator there's a walkie talkie and like anyway there's just so many things also the fucking tutorial didn't it broke for me because there's a part where you have to use a sledgehammer and the objective never fucking triggered. So, and not only do you have to, and there's a real and when you, and you can also, sorry, in this tutorial, you have to save someone, and you, but you can only walk backwards, right? I guess that kind of makes sense, but you know. It looks you, but you fucking hilarious. It does, and you can't see where you're going. And you just got this, this rag doll just, just flipping out in front of you. It is a fucking slog to get through this, this, tutorial and then of course you get right to the end with the sledgehammer objective doesn't trigger so you got to restart the whole fucking thing again second time i did it the fire hose i couldn't i picked up the fire hose but the fire hose wasn't in my hand but it was attached to my body it was fused to my body i couldn't drop it again had to fucking so i literally ran into the fire and burnt I had to reload it again start all again you know, then we get to the game and you know uh, cinematics are you know they're Wait, pretty well then we get to the game then you get to get to the actual story. Then, then these guys love the cinematics. This is this wants to be a, like a Call of Duty fucking PlayStation exclusive story driven thing. It's got cinematics up the wazoo, mate. And and they're, they're not too bad. Like, it's where the budget's pretty, gone. Yeah, they're pretty well. They're pretty well done. It, it is running on Unreal Five, and voice acting is sure it's serviceable, but the writing is you know they don't really have much to work with. 
Um, but it's the gameplay, man. The gameplay of just... Go- well, once you actually begin, you know, the path of going in into the game, this game is just not fun. So there'll be guards, right? And the AI is laughable. It will just stand there. These guards will just stand there and just point their gun at you. Half time, they, like, they like might not even shoot. You can just walk out in front of them and hit them with your axe. And then when you do hit them, they, like, run away. They turn and run. They're like, oh, like I need backup. Back up. And they're like, they, like, run away. Sometimes they run with their hands in the air and get stuck. Sometimes they run off and get someone else. It is hilarious. Uh, enemy, like, like, once you do get to, like, fight the creatures, the enemy variants are super repetitive. They respawn right in front of you, as you've seen. The checkpointing is absolute non-existent. It is so far spread out. So that that's where a, a big bulk of my time has gone, right? It's just replaying sections of this game because, I, like, so there there is, a, there is a save system here, which is like this big supercomputer thing that you can go into and you can actually save your game. So I did a spot and which you would think, hey, it's going to trigger a, a checkpoint. It's going to be wicked. I'm good to go. No, of course it didn't. It didn't fucking trigger any save point. Why would it? Makes sense. So then I have I backtracked all the way through the level, saved it at this at this save point, went back to where I was, went forward, died in an area, got pushed put all the right back in the other spot. Now, the important thing to note is that I'd cleared the entire level that I was on of all the enemies. So it was just, you know, I was running back and forth. Like it was easy. Once I respawned back into the game, all the enemies had respawned. So that like had you'd already run. saved after a point that they died. Correct. So now they That was a bonfire. So I had to fucking <laughs> go all the way back through, kill them all again, died copious amounts of time because each time I would die, I'd get more frustrated, get more cranky. Fuck this game. Boss fights, terrible. So there's all. Uh, sorry, you know, before we get to the boss fights, there's other, there's like t- there's like these waves that this game sends you, and I've showed you, you guys, uh, uh, footage of this. The game doesn't ex- it, the game doesn't explain anything to you, and the and the devs want that right. But you need some form of explanation for anything. So there's this wave. There's this wave fight where you got three waves, and they send enemies out in, in small like they like drip feed enemies out to you and then all of a sudden your fucking gunplay is so fucking slow that it gets you get like two or three different enemies rush you and the doctor's just fucking standing there because you got to protect this doctor and because your movement and your gunplay everything is so slow but your enemies are so quick you get overwhelmed you got to run away and eventually the doctor's getting smashed, you shot your shotgun, you run back into the thing to try and kill the enemies that are hitting the uh, doctor, but you've run out of ammo, right? All good. I'll just, I'll just whack in a couple of shells and I'll kill that guy. No. You got a 10 mag shell, uh, 10, mag, uh, 10 shell mag, you got to watch this guy reload every single shell standing there while this guy's just attacking... Uh, so it's just it's just shit design across the board, right? And it's the same. There's another boss fight a bit later on a on a different planet, Jupiter, where which is again it's four it's four tiers, and these don't there's no auto saves or checkpoints after any of these levels. 
So the third level of this four level boss fight has no ammo in it whatsoever. So if you get to this level and you've run out of, there's a particular gun that you need to break the guy's shield. If you have no, no ammo, then you're fucked. You're going to go back and redo the whole thing again. Also, the, another thing that the game will do is that it will give you ammo for guns you haven't unlocked yet. So in this, in this wave fight, I was running out of shotgun shells and other stuff, but the game was giving me ammunition for weapons I didn't, I hadn't unlocked yet. And, and this happens right from the very start of the game. Like you might have one weapon and you're relying on that one weapon to have ammunition, but they give you ammunition. Like there might just be like three ammunition drops in that level. And each of those three drops will be for guns that are, you're not going to touch anytime soon because you ain't got them. Because the game doesn't program how ammo drops work depending on where you are in the game. It's just... There's 12 potential ammo. Here, have one, and hopefully it's what you need. But in a survival horror game where you need that ammo, it's fundamentally fucked. So now you're resorting to using your axe against the wave of six dudes coming at you. Have fun. You will immediately die and find there's and no you, fucking then, checkpoints. Yeah, and then there's enemies that you can't see. So the first time I saw these enemies, like, well, sorry, I didn't see The first time I was being attacked, again, this is where I lost like 45 minutes of game time. I finally got through this, this part. I've been trying for ages. This is that. This is actually the part I was referring to, where I got sent right, like right back and had to go all the way back through. Uh, this enemy couldn't see him. Didn't know what it was. Something was attacking me. Eventually, I just I just started sh shooting the gun at one point a bit later in the in the game, and I was started shooting someone. The game doesn't tell you that there's an invisible enemy. There are environmental clues apparently that you're meant to pick up on. Uh, there's also this little robot that roams through the facility, and he will disable firearms in any area that you're in. So another time, power goes out and this another high level enemy rushes you. But you've you've got your fucking weapons disabled. Because this fucking bot's roaming around somewhere in, in this room. You can't shoot him, you just get fucking dead. Shout outs, love that. Uh, also objectives break all the time. Uh, the weapon wheel doesn't trigger half the time. When you do select a weapon, because you're moving trying to move so quickly, because you're being attacked so quickly, you will you will uh, hit the wrong weapon there was one time again in, in this wave fight where i was fucking overwhelmed i was panicking one of my one one of the guns got the grenade got, accidentally shot the, uh, through through the grenade killed the doctor um had to fucking start again there's just poor design throughout this whole entire thing and there I, I could go on for ages i actually had a bug that uh stopped me from progressing i hit a I, like the devs had to put a fix in where an objective didn't update and I couldn't exit this room and I was stuck in this room. And I was like, this is the point. James is like, this is the point. Adam was like, this is the point. You just don't play anymore. And I was like, nope. You, look, I think it's admirable to want to finish a game before you review it. I think it's a totally uh, worthy concept, but if a game is not respecting your time, then no, um, you, you have a life. I do. I could have been playing Alan Wake too. I'm playing this, this <laughs> steaming pile of code, which is ninety bucks. Like on this, is it ninety bucks? Ninety dollars. I just yeah. put that in our, our text channel. That is. Mm. So I've not I've not seen much from the game outside of the initial trailers and the little snippets that you've sent me. That is not a ninety dollar game. That is uh, to, to make insane. This, to make this even more damning, visually, Zach might disagree with me, but even though this is an Unreal 5 engine game, no, textures, 
particle effects, character models, it looks like an asset swap game to me. It looks like they've just bought an asset pack. Like, like particles in this game are so fucking bad. But then there's also times where you're, you're so heavily reliant on your flashlight that it's so fucking dark and you can't see anything. And objectives, the game is so poorly structured. It doesn't tell you... Ugh. I don't even bother. There's no subtitles. Um, every everything is absolutely threadbare. There is a point where the game teaches, gives you. I mentioned this as that gives you a tutorial on CPR because oh. firefighter simulator, right? And I don't know. Cool, are we cool going to commit? Idea, but go on, yeah. Are we going to do CPR on the the monsters? I don't fucking know. So anyway, gives you a, a text pop out that you can't reference at any other point in the game. Gives you three full paragraphs. We're talking like three hundred fucking words, and it's all like microscopic text. And that's it, baby. Figure it out. It's a fucking weird game. So you, so the way that you do the CPR, you have to blow. Oh, you got to blow the, on the mic too, and it doesn't work. <laughs> you got to blow into the controller's microphone. Did it work for you? It never worked for me. <laughs> no. As so in, what, like the old school Mario Party games. As in, like with your DS. Microphone. Oh my lord! Like, and here's me going. <laughs> Nothing's happening. Yeah, because it's like the game is like giving you like, this is how you got to do it, right? And a rhythm. Yeah. Cool idea. Okay. There's one scene in the game where you're literally walking in a shallow water infested with sharks. And I'm just fucking, I'm carrying this bird and I'm just fucking walking straight through. Like I'm walking, like I got a video of it. You go like underground. I know we've spoken way too much about this game, but this game's so bad that it's got to be discussed. You walk in this underground. If you're, imagine carrying, Nathan, imagine carrying Adam underwater. I'd expect him to kick around a little bit. But like, imagine going full like underwater. Like a dream where to me. You, you are literally <laughs> underwater. Like you're not like your ankles are in water. You are walking underwater. Fully you submersed. Move you move at the same pace. Just yeah. walking, carrying your fucking character. Then up, yep, up you go, up the ramp. There's no. You're just built different, mate. He's a firefighter, mate. So that's all. It's all all part of their training. Mate, he fights fire. Water's got nothing on him. It's just everything about this game is. Fucked, basically. Yeah, this this is the worst game I've played in years. Uh, this reminds me, because it is a first-person game primarily, reminds me of even shocking games like Daikatana and that, where it's just so many ideas and not a single one of them is executed to even an acceptable level. Um, yeah, it's just, it is not fun. It's just nothing, it's, I think I, I, think I wrote it's uh, flawed, frustrating and unfun. But I had to actually reflect, did I enjoy Babylon's 4 more than this? And I did. I genuinely did. The only thing, and this is going to be a very bizarre positive to give because I don't even know why, but I feel like it runs relatively well. Yes, it's crass. Yes, objectives bug out, but it runs... Like, I'm not having any frame rate drops. I'm not having anything like that, right? In terms of technical polish, it runs pretty well, right? As long as technical polish is just, like, frame rate, because... Nothing else works. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just, I think you summed it up very, very well, and this is where we'll leave it off, but you summed it up very well. This is a game that is in dire need or needed a producer, basically. Someone just to come in and go, just stop. Just stop adding more stuff. There is too much here. None of it is any good. Pick three or four. You know, you have the axe. Have the crowbar. Have something else, and that's it. Take the CPR out. <laughs> Because there's a fucking heat detector that I've never used in the game once. And I'm 60% through the game and I've not used it. 
Anyway, it's it's wild. I am probably going to sit on a three and a half for this one. Going generous, mate. (laughs) Well, it's a little bit that I haven't finished it. I do issue, I really am quite intrigued by the story. I think this story is interesting enough. Like it's kind of what is, there's like a little bit in the tank that is pushing me just, just, just to see. I'm not loving it, I think, but I'm, but I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what, what they do. Um, and I, yeah, sure. Massacres. Well, it's sitting on a 47 on Metacritic. So That's hard. company. What? Yeah, it's higher than what I was expecting. Absolutely. Uh, and the other thing, just about this, they actually tweeted out bef- uh, today or yesterday or whenever it was, but they've actually made money on this game already, just on pre-orders alone. Well, because it's eighty fucking dollars a piece. <laughs> well, yes, my friend. But the other thing is, I wonder how, what the budget was for this. Like, I know they kickstarted and made like sixty grand or something, and I think that just went to getting voice actors and mocap, licensing for firefighting equipment. Anyway. That's uh, the review. Will will be up. I'm writing it, uh, literally as this podcast is going. But uh, it's yeah, you can check it out on the website. All right. Oh, I spoke way too long as usual, but we've got uh, some cool shit to talk about. Still, how are we, Adam? Give us your a couple of quick little other ones you got. Yes. Um. We'll hit up. We'll hit up Avatar first. Why not? Um. So last week. On the Ubisoft dollar, I was flown over to Sydney to go hands-on with Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, which is the new first-person open-world shooter, I suppose, set in the the Avatar world. Um, We got, yeah, about three hours with the game, which comprised of four main missions and then some open-world kind of exploration and some side content as well. So... Does everyone kind of expect this game to be Far Cry, but with big blue people? Is that kind of the... Kinda, yeah. I mm. guess. Sort of open-worldy thing, do stuff, be yep. big and blue, shoot things. I'm expecting some Ubisoft blueprint all over it. Yeah, because it is. It is. Um, it definitely feels like Avatar. Um, I would say the best aspects of the game are the world and the sound design. So the world definitely looks like Pandora. It is dense. Like the forest is absolutely packed with flora and fauna. That's recognizable uh, to the the movies, particularly the, I don't know if you remember the, the little spiral plants that he touches and it, they kind of shoot in and they make a really satisfying little noise. They make that exact noise. So I was running around like an idiot touching all of them that I could find because it was super satisfying. Um, And the soundscape in the jungles and the forests is fantastic. It feels like it's bustling. It sounds rather like it's bustling with life, whether it is or not is kind of something else, but the soundscape is fantastic. Um, But yeah, the four missions that we played through, the first one was just kind of get accustomed to things, gather some resources, deliver them to another NPC um, it was a little bit hard to understand where to go. The The waypointing is a bit odd. You're reliant on your Navi sensors, which is ostensibly eagle vision, um, but for blue aliens. Um, and it's not particularly clear. It kind of doesn't guide you in a direction, rather kind of pushes you in 
a kind of general area and then you're kind of left to your own devices. Apparently there will also be another mode that takes that away and you just explore. Fuck knows how you're going to find your way with that, but you know, you do you. Um, the next mission where you got to climb to a rookery and tame the, your Ikran or the, the, uh, what are they called? Banshees. So the, the big flying lizards, that was a really cool mission. You got to do some platforming. Um, first person platforming is pretty good. You have like a, a boost jump where you can hold down X and you jump further a mid air dash and that sort of thing. Cause you're again, a big blue alien. So that felt pretty good. Um, actually getting on your Ikran and flying it was awesome. That part of it, I really enjoyed. Um, it bled into the next mission, which was in air combat. The aerial combat, I really, really liked. The the Ikran moves and controls really well. And that combined with like the, the different bows and the different arrow types, it all kind of, it, it worked well. It was fun. The last mission you had to, and say it with me, liberate an outpost. This is where it very much hit the the Ubisoft wall. It was like, you can go in stealthy as an, a nine foot blue alien, um, or you can go in guns blazing. So I kind of, you know, did a bit of both. The bows feel really good. They feel massive. They feel like they're being wielded by an eight foot, nine foot blue alien. The human weapons feel like guns, like they're, they're nothing particularly special. Um, they, they bang, bang. Yeah, exactly. So I definitely wanted to use the Navi weapons a lot more. Um, but yeah, overall, it it feels like an Avatar game, but it also feels very much like an Ubisoft game. The open world stuff I did, there were like trapped animals that you have to fight the RDA to let out of their let out of their cages and stuff like that. I did a couple side quests: go here, collect this, bring it back. It's nothing groundbreaking. I, my my biggest fear is. I had a decent enough time for three hours. I looked at the map. It looks fucking massive. They couldn't give me an idea as to how long the story was, but I don't know if I could do this for say 20, 30 hours. I just don't think it would have the longevity to hold my interest for that amount of time. I'd love to be proven wrong, but I've been here and done this very much before. Um, I just hope that maybe it's saving a few little surprises to keep me interested long-term. Hmm. Can I, uh, okay. So Avatar, the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. You, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect to have an emotional reaction to them. Right. But then when you get into that nope. cinema and you get into that world and you kind of buy into those characters so deeply that like, I, you know, I cried during both of them. I had, I had a great time. That's a big um, goddamn tree. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> Amazing. Love it. Like that perfect balance between cheesy and earnestness. Right. And like as a video game, does that capture that tone at all? The the writing, the character work? Cause like the, the world of Avatar is like, it's pretty for five minutes, but the reason you sit through a three hour movie is because you kind of end up giving a shit about Jake and his family. Right. Um, do you get any of that in this? It's hard. I only got a very small snippet. They kind of, the, the part that we got thrown into was pretty devoid of big story beats or kind of right. uh, like character interaction. I got to meet some of the key players um, and they introduce what could be some kind of intriguing elements narrative wise. Um, okay. I'd say it's, I had more genuine feeling when I was climbing through the rookery, it was looking out mm-hmm. over the sites and the soundtrack kicked in. Cause that felt like that moment where 
um, Jake flies the Ikran for the first time in mm. the first movie and the, you know, the music swells and it, it all kind of comes together. Those moments I found more appealing as for story. I worry a little bit. The story is more or less you're a Navi that was abducted as a child and raised as a human. So you're kind of caught in between two worlds. Um, it's a story that kind of toes the line with a lot of real world events, uh, particularly here in Australia, obviously there's a lot of um, rough history around, you know, colonialism and whatnot. So they could do some really cool things with it. I just didn't see enough to know if they will, but I hope so. Cause the, the, the blueprint is very much there. Pun intended. Huh. Yeah. I enjoyed that. You didn't gig when I said Ubisoft blueprint. I missed it. I, Otherwise I, I would have, cause I'm all sorry. about that. Yeah. I'm all about the puns. James knows it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Last word. Very cool. And this is coming December, isn't it? It allegedly so. Well, they actually put out the um, specs for it today. The PC specs today. They certainly, certainly did. And you know what I, that means? Good as real. out now. It's pretty yep. much. Uh huh. Very nice. Uh, you also went and rock climbed. I did. Um, James and I have both played for review. I, Me reviewing for World Play. James, you're reviewing for the old press start. Uh, Jusson, which is um, French for uh, the moment when the water recedes, like, like the ocean is receding, um, which plays into the plot and whatnot. But anyway, you're not here to hear about that. Uh, so yeah, it's an action puzzle platformer, I would say would probably surmise it best, I suppose. Uh, it's a rock climbing game. That's the, the, literally the bread and butter of it is that you climb this tower that you can't see the, the top of, and it's mechanics are very much built for that. So instead of like Assassin's Creed, you hold R2 and X or whatever, and you parkour the fuck right up a building, um, with this, you have to, so L2 and R2 are grip for left hand and grip for right. And then you use a thumbstick to, to kind of point your arms in a direction. So it's very deliberate and it feels a little funky to begin with. But once all the mechanics are introduced, it actually starts feeling pretty great. By the end of the game, you are scrambling up shit lightning fast. Like... It's, it's meant to be this real serene experience. And if you use it that way, it absolutely would be. Um, but I was fucking bombing up this mountain, man. I was, yeah, I was like a bat out of hell getting to the top of this thing. Um, but yeah, so you also have this cute little blue companion that can interact with the world. He sends out like a little pulse um, and it makes vines grow. Uh, it makes fireflies gather around you and they act as like a, a little jetpack almost um, to get you to, to hire higher points. Um, and you can also use like a rope to swing. You have pittons that you can, you know, shove into the wall to create little, uh, safe spaces where you can kind of recuperate and gather your, your stamina back. Cause that will deplete over time. So you've kind of got to weigh that up as well. Um, and there are James five different like area biomes, five or six, biomes. maybe five. Sounds yeah, right. I want to say it's, five. Yeah, it's very so, lean. Yeah, it, it, it. I should say from the out, it took me five hours to to finish. I was, it was in and out pretty quick. I thought the the length was pretty well perfect. 
I didn't get sick of the the gameplay by that stage, but I was ready to wrap up. Um, and each, yeah, each of the biomes is visually different. So you have like a super sunny, very warm tone. You have a more jungle environment that's got like a, a strong gust of wind. They have a visual element and then a gameplay element as well. So there's one, like the, the sunny, it depletes your stamina very quickly. The wind can blow you around, whether good or bad. Um, and so on and so forth. So the environmental elements kind of play into it as well, which is cool. Keeps things feeling fresh. Uh, as far as downsides, the story is very kind of up to interpretation. It plays around some themes of like separation and environmentalism and very, very loosely. Uh, it's told mainly through uh, the the tried and true like notes being left behind by people who have long since passed or moved on or whatever. Um, I enjoyed that side of the story. They also kind of have this emotional through line, I suppose, the, the connection between your protagonist and this little blue blob. Um, I didn't really care, to be honest. Um, like, he's really cute, but I th- they just didn't interact enough, I suppose, for me to to really get a feel for any sort of relationship there. Um, outside of that, there's a few little things gameplay wise that bug me. Um, anything that kind of halts your momentum, like there are little creatures that you can grab onto and they, they move, they act as like moving handholds. It, it stifles your momentum. It just kind of gave me the shits. Um, and James didn't encounter this as much, but I certainly did. The interior areas are really fucking dark. Like I had to bump up the gamma um, on my game to kind of see where the handholds were indoors. Cause apparently I'm blind. Um, but that made it a little bit, a little bit you, hard uh, to, to get around. H HDRing or fuck. No, absolutely not. Okay. Right. I don't have that kind of that ability. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I played on PC and I, my monitors definitely don't have like the highest fidelity output or HDR mm-hmm. or any of that jazz. I'm sure if you did, it would certainly help, but yeah. Um, for anyone that doesn't have access to that, you'll struggle in the interior uh, mm-hmm. parts of the game. But yeah, otherwise, I I really really enjoyed it. Like James said, nice lean little five hour experience. I gave it an eight. Very good, very good. James, what do you what do you think of it so far? Yeah, I I agree with most of that. I I really enjoyed the the narrative experience of it because I think it's thematic work and like. It uses water to me as as a metaphor for a couple of different things. And I think that if you bring something into it, understanding that you're going to get quite a bit back in return. Like water in this world is very, it informs like the art and their language. And eventually where you go with the story is an affecting user, I think, of, of why that metaphor goes. I didn't love the text logs. Um, I think that they kind of actively undermined the mystique of the world. Uh, has anyone here played The Last Guardian? Uh, first yep. couple of hours struggled with okay. it. So, you know, you've got that game where like, uh, you know, boy and his dog, which is effectively what this story is as well. Right. Um, and they're moving through a world that is like vaguely familiar, but also pretty alien to you through its fantasy. And because there's no text logs, there's no audio logs. It's just kind of, you just vibe with it. you got to pick up that culture just purely through their, like their use of art or their use of architecture and whatever. And Jusant does that really, really well. But then it also like shoves in your face, these like lengthy text logs that again, like Adam said, it kind of halts momentum. And this is a game all about upward momentum. 
Um, and I think they're finely written. I just didn't think they needed to be there. I think it, the game should have had a bit more confidence in its visual storytelling um, because I do think the rest of it is is really, really solid. And it also took me a little bit of time to get used to the climbing. And then I feel like once they introduce the full suite of options, the game is over. Um, it, it's, you know, that, that leanness is good, but you do get out pretty quick. Okay. Very cool. Uh, have you got a score you want to slap on it? Yeah, I went with... Uh, what did I go with? That's a great question. <laughs> I want to say it was an 8.5. I feel like that's where I landed on it. Uh, Could have Starfield. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to talk about Starfield one day, aren't we? Uh, yeah, 8.5 8. for me on Press Start. Shout outs to... Uh... Shout outs to Press To our friends at Press Start, they're uh, they're a great bunch, aren't they? Anyway, let's uh <coughs> what else we got here? We got one more oh, fuck, I've got two more things. Holy mother of Lord. <laughs> Sorry. Sure. Uh Nathan, you got a couple of things to f- to finish us off with. I'm Speaking surprised you've you've even got uh, something to say about one of them, given that you only gave it to you what yesterday? Yeah, so let's let's start with that one because it is so bloody brief. Uh, Persona Five Tactica, we get to uh, we, we've been given the opportunity to discuss the start of that. Uh, reviews obviously a fair way off, but I've effectively devoured the first hour of this thing. So for those that don't know, Persona Five, one of the greatest JRPGs ever made, super stylish, you know, really notable soundtrack and you know, decent uh, JRPG combat. Uh, Persona 5 Tactica takes that and plants it in the mold of the Mario and Rabbids turn-based strategy games. Like, absolutely just takes that formula and slaps it on here. Uh, and they've done the chibi art style, you know, cartoon big round faces for the Persona 5 crew that they did with Persona Q2, which was a dungeon crawler from five years back or so. Uh, so in that first hour... Our crew following the events of, uh, at some time after the events of Persona 5, but before they've gone off to college, uh, our phantom thieves, cast of crazy little teenagers, uh, get sucked into this, Just they're just chilling in a cafe, and then they get sucked into this TV-like device transported to this another world, which is kind of par the course for these folks, but this is, as I said, after the events of Persona 5, so they're not expecting this supernatural phenomenon to still be continuing. Uh, they're transported to this place called the Metaverse. Hooray! And in the Metaverse, uh, they, very shortly after being quite confused as to why they're in this space, they meet what seems to be one of the dominating powers in this in this area uh, called Lady Larie. Uh, she's very regal, very full of herself and quite domineering. She ends up... Um, I shouldn't say the word enslaving, but she puts these these collars around the members of the Phantom Thieves, therefore bringing them under her control, charming them. The only two characters to make it out are Joker, the main character, and Morgana the cat. And so, assumedly, in these early hours of the game, the plot's going to have them try and liberate their team members from Lady Larie. The combat, as I say, plays very much like the Mario and Rabbids games. So, you will be freely able to move around the 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 parameters of a, effectively what is a grid. You will take cover. When you're in cover, you will shoot enemies because Persona characters have guns for the most part for whatever reason, and you'll also be able to use their personas, their supernatural creatures for other effects that might be able to breach cover. 
be able to cast fire behind cover, well, that's not going to keep them very safe and uh, other various effects. Uh, that's about how much we've played of it. So as I say, very surprising to see that they've pretty much copied the Mario and Rabbids formula wholesale, considering that in itself was only one sort of version of the, the turn-based strategy sphere, which is quite often dominated by games like XCOM. So it's quite friendly in its presentation, quite easy to pick up, especially if you've played those Nintendo strategy games. Uh, the one thing is the plot hasn't doesn't really establish any stakes, not like Persona 5. It very much feels like light spin-off fare that's in the shadow of its of, a, of what it's based on. And the soundtrack, which is one of the big things of these Persona games, is woefully undercooked, right from the opening cinematic, which sounds horribly off-key. Um, there's almost no vocal work in the soundtrack outside of that that I've heard so far, and Persona games always, almost always have some catchy vocal work to go with its kind of blend of jazz blues through the lens of modern pop. Uh, that's not really here. In fact, this, this music's much more closer to elevated music it just does not leave an impression whatsoever so it's a bit of a shame uh the early impression is that this is very much in the shadow of persona and just seems like very light spin-off fare um as for if the gameplay the tactical bones are there it remains to be seen but it's perfectly inoffensive it just um hasn't quite met what are lofty expectations around this property cool nice one and then you've also got a little board game you want to talk about just a little board game yeah so um if you're familiar with a big title here, uh, Sushi Go or Sushi Go Party from Australian designer Phil Walker-Harding, a uh, huge, huge game on the board game scene. Um, he produces a lot of, like, I would say family games, games that effectively anyone should be able to play. Uh, his latest game, Spellbook, we were given a preview at PAX. We've gone hands-on with the actual box copy and produced a review. Uh, this game is a set collection game. Like what it says, set collection is literally about collecting matching sets of a particular resource. In this case, it's materia. We are wizards and we're looking to gather materia or runes in order to learn spells. That's the overview of the game. It plays out with each character having uh, three decisions to make in their turn. One for the morning phase, one for the midday phase, one for the evening phase. And what this effectively plays out as is in the morning, your wizards are going to collect their runes. And this has players drawing these acrylic very colourful, very delightful acrylic tokens either out of a bag, uh, which allows them to accrue more, but randomly, or from a board, like a public little marketplace called a, an altar, So, but they can only take one. You're obviously going to want to accrue lots of these quite fast in the hopes that you're able to compose some matching sets. Uh, because in the afternoon, you will refine your pool of runes or materia. You'll swap them out with what's on the board to hopefully getting you closer to a matching set. And then in the evening, if you've managed to get a collecting set of three matching colors or four or five, it's between three and five as a matching set, you cash them in to learn a spell of the corresponding color. These spells give you, uh, they augment your ability to do the basic things of the game, like be able to draw more runes, be able to swap out more, or be able to make uh, other spells a bit more powerful. It's quite basic in its presentation. Uh, each player will have seven cards in front of them. Every player will have the same seven cards. There is a variety of 21 variants in the box, which means there's a lot of replayability here with players being able to swap out their um, tableau of, of seven cards with a, a different mixed up variety. So it's effectively seven cards, 
three variants of each, so it's um, you know seven to the power of three or whatever. Is you know a lot of fucking variations here. Hundreds of different games could be played. That's all well and good, but the actual playing of the game, just drawing tokens, matching them up, cashing them in, ad nauseum. It didn't necessarily inspire a lot of excitement in me. So perfectly good game. I've played it with four people. I've played it with three, two. It's even got a solo mode. Um, I'm not blown away. It's, it's fine. Like Sushi Go Party, like Phil Walker Harding's other games, they're, they're sort of great to get beginners around the table and play a game for someone that maybe doesn't play a lot of board games. Um, but if you've sharpened your teeth on a few tabletop titles by now, um, I don't see Spellbook as being a game that you're going to continually come back to unless you've never played a set collection game where you've had to gather matching sets of a colour. So it's very basic, very rudimentary. Good presentation, love the acrylic tokens, drawing them is tactile and fun. And it's 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 got a great sort of visual presence. I could look around the table and see how well anyone's doing at a glance. Um, I just wish it had a little bit more toothiness. There's not a whole lot of conflict here. It's quite passive. You're just doing your own thing. There's no ability here for me to like interfere with another player beyond taking a token that they wanted from the altar. So pretty passive experience. Um, it was fine. You know, it's just nice to to have a, a prolific Australian board game designer who's well and truly on top of their shit. Uh, I just don't think this was for me. Um, but everyone else I played with had a nice time. Cool. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Adam, you got any questions? No, I I, I was I was along for the ride um, at PAX, listening to Phil explain the game, and yeah, all I want to do is just mess with the tokens because they look fucking fantastic. But I'd, I'd love yeah, to take the definitely, tokens and put them in another game. Yeah, right. It certainly seems to lack the kind of um, player engagement that Sushi Go does because that you can be a real bastard in Sushi Go and fuck over your friends that are sitting next to you. Um, and not to say that, you know, he's painted himself into a corner and needs to only make games like Sushi Go, but it's, it's the thing you're going to compare it to, isn't it? It is being his most prolific title. Yeah. Yeah. And the people I put this in front of didn't play board games much. I said, do you know Sushi Go? They go, oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if, you pl- if you played Sushi Go, this might be of interest, but um, if, if you played a lot of board games, I don't think it's going to light your world on fire. Cool. All right. James, your time to shine. Yeah, with what? News. Oh, the news. Ha, huh. yes, sorry, I was working oh, on restoring the document. Um, <laughs> hold that, he hold hates shout-outs. Sorry, hold that thought very, very quickly because I've just, yeah, the shout-outs, I just missed that, sorry. Uh, quick shout-outs there. So Jordan has reviewed the Asus Rogue Ally. Wait, is that, is that what it's called? No, the Rogue Alley, sorry, sorry. Or is it Ally? I thought no, it was I Ally. Know. Like yeah, a friend, sure like, friend yeah. you take with you. Did I say that first? Yeah. 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 Hmm. Have confidence in yourself, mate. Back Thanks, yourself. Mate. Uh, he says, I really wanted to like the rogue... He says, I really wanted to like the Asus Rogue Ally. <laughs> Unfortunately, while it does offer a decent screen, great shoulder buttons, triggers, and solid performance, it comes at a quite a heavy price to the battery life and ergonomics. With further iteration and improvement, this unit could be great, but, yeah, uh, but so far it is a tough recommendation as it currently stands. He also got his fingers dirty and reviewed the Steel Sex... <laughs> what? Steel Series oh, Apex... <laughs> Steel Series Apex Pro Mini review. 
Uh, and he says, at a price point of at least $399, I find it very hard to recommend this keyboard for anyone who isn't using it for competitive gaming as you can get quite a nice custom keyboard for that price point, which would go a lot further in the long run. Essentially, he thinks everything is overpriced. Shout out to Jordan. No, I'm just kidding. No, you can go check check out those reviews on the website. That's fetching uh, over 400 bucks. That is a... Whew. That is, you know, it's a that very, very fair... fair um, that's a lot to spend on a, on a keyboard, especially mini ones. Like, what, half keyboard? Come on. Come on. <laughs> Kidly less keyboard and ask him for more. Um, and Mark will have a Wario Wear Wario move move it review. God, I can't talk at the moment. Um, up and I think let me look, let me look at the dates on this when this potty goes live. What date is it today? So hopefully, potentially, maybe, but KS will have a review for the Invincible which is uh, coming oh. out. Ah, I'm so looking Very forward nice. to hearing his thoughts on that game. Um, yes, cool. James, news. Hit me. Yes. All right. So, unfortunately, uh, we are kicking off with a, a pretty common occurrence now. Uh, Bungie has been hit with massive layoffs. This has just happened today on the day of recording. Um, it has resulted in Destiny 2, the final shape, being delayed and Marathon as well. So, this comes after Sony acquired Bungie last year for $3.6 billion. Uh, most importantly, as Ash pointed out this morning in our Slack, 1.2 of that was actually allocated specifically for staff retention. Um, and and so, you know. Billion. Billion, yes, that's a, a, a lot that's of money. Fucking you retain your staff for yes. a good while. You would imagine. Uh, and yet here we are. So today, uh, countless workers have taken to Twitter to announce that they have been laid off. This came at the same time as Jason Schreier broke a report over on Bloomberg uh, reporting that we're not sure of exactly how many numbers yet, but it seems like a pretty massive internal restructure. Um, as I said there, so the final shape has now slipped out of its January 2024 date into June and Marathon has been pushed to 2025, which may as well be fucking indefinite at this point. Uh, Bungie CEO Pete Parsons did also take to Twitter calling it a quote unquote sad day uh, <laughs> and encouraging others to hire uh, those who, um, yeah, who he just effectively destroyed their livelihoods. Can we, can That's we acknowledge that right? the heroes that have replied to that tweet with... Yeah, if only there was someone who could have helped <laughs> stop this from happening. Absolutely, yes. Um, the So as far as I can tell from the people that I follow, a lot of the layoffs do seem to be centered around their community management and customer service outreach stuff, which is an astoundingly poor choice given the veracity of those Bungie fans uh, and how much <laughs> Destiny requires that. That's not quite what I saw. I've seen oh, things... Oh, okay. So pretty corner. much I've seen from someone internally saying that they've lost staff from almost every single facet of the development team of like from okay. just people who work on the products in general. They mm -hmm. said the only team that has not been touched is the current PvP balancing team has lost no one. Really? Because there's only like three yeah. people on that team. Possibly, <laughs> possibly. But like uh, you might have noticed that the long-term composer for the Destiny games. Go yeah. On. So, uh, yeah, I, I put him in my notes specifically because like I was kind of really surprised at this. This dude has been like pretty pivotal in a lot of Bungie's like distinct sounds. I mean, like his work yeah. on the ODST soundtrack is, is outstanding still dude, to though? this day. Didn't that guy get the boot when they did Destiny? There's a couple of different guys that have it's been a couple of music with Bungie for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah so it's really interesting mix. It, like it, this isn't just a case mm. of like junior staff being let go. Like they're yes, not sort of exactly. trimming off newer people and just going, yeah, let's get back to the core of it. There's people with like a real serious tenure are mm -hmm. gone. It reminds me of when um, 
what was it, Bioware let go of all those senior writers. And it's like, why are you... Like, the reason Nintendo... And this is something that gets said a lot, but, like, Nintendo makes games as good as they do because they retain their staff and they build up that knowledge base over many, many years, right? And so, like, if Western developers just keep gutting their their best talent like this, it, it doesn't doesn't bode well. I mean, Interesting note on that just like quickly. Capcom as well, I guess, to, to a certain extent, right? Mm. You know, like, you know, here, I don't know, has, have they had layoffs? Like, Not that I've heard. Yeah, like, no, maybe. And they just keep uh, interesting interesting up, point so. to James's point about Nintendo there, just that I learned this the other day. Apparently, one of the first Super Mario games was developed almost exclusively by a team of five people. Damn. Four Jesus. of those people, four of those people worked Still in work. Super Mario Wonder. Yeah. Huh. That's that, wonderful, actually. That, yeah, that that's maintaining your talent pool. Yeah. yeah. Brutal. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, it, it's just, it's another, in, I think somebody put together a report, it's about 6,000 developers have lost their jobs this year um, oh, across mate. the industry. And so, and you know, like the refrain that like, oh, it's the best year we've had for gaming in a long, long time. Like, yeah, the releases have been incredible, but like if this is the cost and like it, it's not like we know where the money's going. We know that this isn't reflective of financial success of how much these workers are getting paid. We, we know what's siphoning the life out of this industry. Um, but yeah, I think that as we sort of near game of the year conversations and like Jeff Keighley's award ceremony and just the big celebration that's going to happen of all the great things we got to play this year. I do think it, it's worth bearing in mind that uh, the cost has been tremendously high in human lives. So it's, that. it's interesting that it's hit this high. Like, mm. uh, so we, you know, we spoke um, a couple months ago or whenever it was now, Immortals of Avia, right? You know, brand new mm. studio, their game didn't click, you know, mm-hmm. not that it's right, but it kind of makes a little bit of sense that they would, you know, cut costs to keep afloat for the meantime. You know, yeah. you know we're talking about PlayStation, basically. Yeah. Naughty dog. Sony. Billions Bunkin of dollars. Bungie. Mm. You know. mm-hmm. So many yeah, zeros. Um, yes. Yeah. So It's, it's like- fucking wild that clearly Sony has, like, they they spent all this money on Bungie. Yes. But they, they clearly hold them to a certain regard because they bring them in on naughty dogs whatever the fuck mm-hmm. the, the factions multiplayer is and they're like we need you to you know you're the the best we think you're the best at what you do so we're going to bring you in on the our other projects to to oversee it and let us know what it you know needs and then you know a short time later to axe so many of their staff like it's just fucking wild it is been 12 months blows my mind and the little arts, visual arts studio as well, like that lost developers or talent. Yes. Yeah. I remember that happening. Um, yeah. It's just crazy to th- like, I think, what was it? A couple of years ago, we were seeing these bulk articles of being like, here's every game that's been delayed in the, the last mm-hmm. six months. And to think that we can now, and we'll get articles of here are all of the companies that have lost hundreds thousands of employees is just like it's fucking heartbreaking it's really mm-hmm. do you want to know what's a really tough pill to swallow is the crushing thing to point out as well is that there's job listings going up at careers.bungie.com mm. lovely so Classic. while there is people getting effectively shunted out the door there is new mm. opportunities at the leading developer incredible mm. yeah gross 
it's not great. A, a small point on this before we move on, but uh, Lex Luddy on Twitter, uh, games writer, uh, they've pointed out uh, the baffling thing about the Bungie layoffs is that is this not the company that Sony was seeking to model its next 10 years of business off of? One of the most stable, well-regarded and reliable developers consistently making money off of a live service. And they gutted it. Uh, it, it just, it doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah, I we've talked about it ad nauseum, but have no fucking idea what PlayStation is doing no. with their... Isn't it such an awkward position to be in? It's so fucking no. odd. Like their next, what, five, ten year plan, I just don't yeah. understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we spoke about it, or we, I think I mentioned it last week or whatever it was, you know, you look at uh, what Xbox is doing, and, you know, they've just dropped, I can't remember how many fucking billions on buying a fucking... Mm. Uh, you know, publisher, you know, if you, if you put just a couple of those billions aside, you know, yeah, there's a whole bunch of jobs that could be saved. Um, and, you know, and they're just spending that to grow Game Pass, you know, and that kind of stuff just to make more money, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they'll probably go through the same thing at some point as well. Yeah. I imagine we're going to see a pretty radical shift to unionization at some point because um, it can't continue on this way. Uh, like it, it's, it's just not a sustainable rate to, to burn people out and you can't expect new talent to be excited to join this industry. If job security is this. Correct. It's a tin, yeah. it's a tinderbox waiting to go up, particularly when mm-hmm. you see in other mediums, like obviously the writers and actors strike that's going, that mm-hmm. happened in Hollywood. And that's, you know, there's, that's still ongoing in certain facets like that combined with the ridiculous amount of layoffs. Yeah. I, I completely agree. It's maybe it's, we'll get that. It's waiting to boil over. I think it's literally, it's a matter of time. Strike, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Xbox is continuing to be Xbox. Um, They have moved to ban, quote unquote, unauthorized (laughs) controllers and accessories from use with their hardware. Uh, So players are reporting that they were getting a error message while trying to use third party hardware, including sort of like specialized fight stick controller type setups yeah um so there's two things like this is theorized to be a move to sort of stop cheaters from using modified controllers in online gaming experiences sure microsoft uh issued a statement that said the ban is to preserve the gaming experience of players and quote performance security and safety whatever the fuck safety is supposed to mean in this regard um but as has been rightly pointed out, this does fuck over a lot of uh, cheaper options for, you know, for all the players, as long as they buy the $100 controller. Um, yeah. And then on top of that, there's also potential bleed over into accessibility issues if somebody's running a, a non-standard rig to to better play a game. This fucks that up as well. So um, uh, how but, does... Oh, yeah. Sorry, James. How does this no, affect the the... I can't remember the the name of their accessibility controller, but I know that you mm-hmm. you meant to be able to attach a whole host of third party accessories to that. Is right. do we know if that's going to affect? I it imagine at all? they would be authorized third party yeah. accessories. It's, then it's um so with the does accessibility- that not completely defeat the fucking purpose? <laughs> the the like bring your own sorry Xbox missing the point. Go for it. It, yeah. It's reliant on particular standardization of inputs, like like the actual connectors. <clears throat> so if you were to jerry-rig a controller and then whack a connector on it, um, that could be the point where it says no. So it's expecting... It's, it is reliant on a standard of connectors, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like input connectors. 
Yeah. The amazing yeah, thing is that the way that this rollout is working is that currently people are getting warnings. Like, they are being mm. told that the thing they're using is going to die. Um, and the note that they say is that using unauthorized accessories compromises your gaming experience. And this is being directed to people in the fighting game community that have their own unique sticks. Like, it's fighting games. Like, people have their own inputs because that's what they do. And then people with accessibility needs that go beyond things like what you can just get out of the box. Like, there's a dude who uses a really, really unique flight stick setup to play games. He got the warning today. So, mm. like, at what point does that undercurrent not just simply translate to fuck you or, you know, compromising your gaming experience, Google Translate, this compromises sales of our first-party accessories? Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but, but that's it. Like, everything that Xbox does is to funnel people into the Xbox pipeline. Um, it's just broadly i think their entire business model at this point is the idea that if you want to play the all the games that we were trying to own you will do it on our hardware with our hardware and paying our subscription it does feel like that's the greater sort of whiteboard strategy isn't it mm-hmm. the xbox ecosystem will encapsulate all whether they like it or not yeah sun never sets on xbox like it's yeah uh zach 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 james, zach, james, zach. james. <laughs> I've been waiting. Why don't you run me through what is going on with the day before? Oh, mate, We're headed I for would. a three-hour podcast, are we? Fuck it, hell. No, I'm going to give you exactly three and a half minutes. Yeah, we'll, we'll look. We'll keep this brief. <laughs> this is there's really next to nothing to sort of tell because all we got <laughs> like the game was, itself. <laughs> we got a oh. new tweet, uh, some news that the day before is coming. There's going to be a final trailer launching it'll be out now so if you listen to this the trailer is is out as of yesterday if you're listening um it comes out on the thursday morning and that trailer is going to give us a it's going to be give uh, give us information on release date so it doesn't say new release date but i fully expect this to be delayed uh when when the steam page will return and i can't remember if it said anything else Um, more sick cars more fucking fully sick cars. More sick uh, cars, more jobs, more saunas. More EDM. More saunas, baby. Let's go. Fucking sauna. We should do a podcast in the day before in the sauna room. That would be hot. If it ever uh, happens, I'm down for it. Would be hot, eh? Fuck oath. Um, <laughs> yes. Anyway, so yeah, we're just going to get an update. With the word on the street, there's there's been a uh, some, some rumors... Uh, gone around that the game will be pushed to December 1st so that is like a two and a half week delay um, yeah so look uh, I fully expect that those rumours to be true um, I think that's what's going to be happening because they've I mean they've marketed this trailer as the final trailer and if you read their mm. little description it's like um thank you for being with us over the last five years i don't something to that extent you know we can't wait for you to fucking play it or whatever it says so uh i can't wait to play it i can't wait to play look december 1st saying, yeah hey you know what they say about december 1st it's, it's the day before december, december 2nd <laughs> thank you thank you uh but yeah so fucking i think um, yeah the, the, the game will come back to steam and we'll go from yep. there i guess so what happened with the name dispute I thought we were getting fucking Day Before Land or Forever World no, or some won't. other name. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dayland. I, I just Day remember World. that there was like another name concepted and it sucked it was bad. dog biscuits. It was terrible. Day World. So I think that was just... Oh. Um, 
That was just a backup. That was a break. What a backup, though. Oh, break, we name uh, our son Bruce. If that doesn't work, we'll call him Dogfire Pepperoni. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that's... when did they win? I don't. I didn't see a news piece from you about winning the the thing. There was a thing. Was it hidden well, in another I'll massive it in article? Other pieces. They, they, they well, ah, okay. So this is the thing, right? Like they won in Korea, and the American court case was reliant on all basically waiting for that verdict to then make their verdict. Um, so I don't know if it's been updated. I've looked a couple times, but the website's a little bit clunky to kind of read and find verdicts and shit. So um, <laughs> you think they'd be better at organizing that, like a workspace you I could know, organize? Right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, look, that's been the day before. Uh, keep watching the skis. Uh, some quick tidbits to, to wrap us up here. Dead Space Three writer says that he would ideally rework the whole game in a potential remake. I am very excited about this. Anyone else have any strong feelings? David, Dead Space Three sucks. So yeah, let's do it. Mm. That's uh, yeah. Remake Who doesn't that? like Absolutely. ice repelling sections and insta kills from shit that barely touches you? Love it. Perfect. Uh, new Tintin reporter cigars of the Pharaoh gameplay trailer has dropped. Game looks cute. Um, Alan Wake. Unless, uh, sorry, Zach, do you want to get in on no, the Tintin? I'm I'm excited to see it more. I'm excited to see it too. Yeah. Tintin, um, sick ass of the Pharaoh. <laughs> Alan Wake 2 uh, is getting a new game plus with an additional narrative as well as two DLCs next year. And Atari has acquired Digital Eclipse, which is the preservationist-ish developer that were behind the critically acclaimed The Making of Karateka. I haven't had to say that out loud. Uh, Has anyone not heard of this game? Nope. Oh, okay. My understanding is that like uh, Karateka, however it's pronounced, was like a old school video game, whatever. Um, and then this company kind of came along and put together what they called the making of, which is the base game. And then there's like a documentary interactively built around it through a video game. Um, I've heard only the best things about it. Um, Fuck and it yeah, seems let's like, have more of that. Right. Yeah. Like this is a developer. They've done a few of these for Atari. So I guess it's not too surprising, um, but it's like, Oh, it's, it's a shame. They're kind of going to be tethered to Atari properties now, but that's acquisitions <laughs> for you. We'd love that. Yeah. More consolidation, that's what I say. That's it. It's only ever led to more jobs. Absolutely. I want less companies making all the games and less people making the games. In half the time. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Fuck oath. Anyway, that's the the news. There you go. Twice the price. And that is the depressing news. Yeah. But up, but up, but up. Yeah, 2023, these dizzying highs of absolutely blockbuster, nut smashing games. And immediately depressed with, and the people that made it are unemployed. I'm like, cool. Yep. Awesome. Yep. All right, let's quickly go through the off topics. Uh, we'll wrap it up pretty quickly because we've gone a while. I will share two very, very quick things with you. I watched The Nun 2, total dog shit. Uh, <laughs> not quite as good <laughs> as um, authentic Italian fucking, what's his name? Russell Crowe. <laughs> uh, the Pope's Exorcist. That. And. The second thing, I went to the cinema, and what did I watch again? Oh, Dumb Money, which is uh, the GameStop. Uh, ah, yeah, the GameStop shorting saga. Thing. Was it any good? It was actually really good. I really enjoyed it. I'd forgotten like a lot of, about it. Uh, but yeah, oh, it was really... The, the film is in- obviously a documentary. It must be super uh, factual. Yes, but it's obviously, you know, it's Hollywooded up. Um, it's glorified. How good's Paul Dano, though? 
Uh, I do love me some Paul Dano. But um, seen the Fablemans? Yeah. Seen, seen what? The no, Fablemans. The Riddler. Oh, Adam, yeah. you got to see the Fablemans. Sorry, I will. Zach. I'll I heard Paul list. Dano. I got tunnel vision. Man, I know him from Little Dumb Sunshine. Money, very cool, very interesting, yeah. and uh, you should all watch it if you have any interest in that kind of thing. It still blows my mind at how just huge that whole thing was, and how Reddit just fucking took it to Wall Street, which is. Um, just it amazing. Was endlessly funny when it, it was, was happening. Fucking wild. I only vaguely remember reading about Robin Hood the app after it kind of shut down trading. Or no, sorry. Shut down buying. Disabled buying. You could still sell it, uh, but you couldn't buy it. Uh, yeah. And I remember reading all about that and the guy just came across like a huge cock. Uh, <laughs> lo and behold, uh, film portrays him pretty accurately. As a huge speaking Fouls. of ash you yeah, have we didn't talk about that with avatar did, sorry i am sorry did, did, the huge phallus <laughs> do they have no uh, nah, do oh, they yeah. it's their hair no. it's their hair my dude their oh in the game no probably not probably not <laughs> That, the, fuck, that raises content. so many questions. The, the oh, modding well. community will get on that eventually. Digital Playground anyway, parody you're watching. Ash, mate, what were you, what were you there about to talk about? <laughs> uh, well, speaking of films and movies that are on a roller coaster up and downs, I took the time to watch the Five Nights at Freddy's film from, from Bloomhouse, Blumhouse, people who made Megan and stuff like Blumhouse. that. Blumhouse. Oh, hey, oh, got oh, him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Terrible. I, it's funny. I just, I just kept seeing headlines. I'm like, I've got to check this out before I get completely uh, spoiled by like everyone else's impressions. I just want to set the record first here. I don't, don't genuinely, desperately love Five Nights at Freddy's. Let's just say that here. I like the concept because it's one of those classic examples of a property that has backfilled its entire law. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like when, yeah. A concept doesn't really have any presence. It's just sort of a thing. It gets farted out, it exists, and then it picks up traction, and suddenly, oh, no, 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 it's it's a mythos. Yeah, there's like a whole bunch of stuff, and if you looked, you'd see it. Nah, no, nah, no. Nah. Scott Cawthorn, if you're listening to this, and I know you are, mate, you're not fooling anyone, but it's okay, because I love what you're doing. It's dumb, and I love it. So... There's like tomes of weighty history regarding Five Nights at Freddy's and it's all ridiculous and silly and dumb. But like I said, it's all backfilled. It just gets created. It all starts at an end point and then just sort of gets pretend filled out with shit. So I was like, making a movie out of this is so daring. I love it. What is and, Five uh, Nights at Freddy's? Mm. Sorry? What's Five <laughs> Nights at Freddy's? I know, but I just want to hear it from the horses What is now. Five Nights at Freddy's? Five Nights at Freddy's is... The 13-year-old's favorite horror franchise about spooky Chuck E. Cheese animatronics that haunts a pizzeria at night, and you are the security guard that only has enough power to lock the door to your office for a couple of seconds at a time when these massive man-eating suits of metal come to take you on. It's fucking goofy, but it's it's dumb in the way that I love it. Uh, to the film's credit, and it's not even a spoiler, but there is Five Nights portrayed in that film, so that was... <laughs> My only real thing going into it, if this is like one terrific, terrifying night, I'm going to be annoyed. Just going to be flat out pissed off. But Dude's name wasn't even Freddy. Yeah, it's just it's just one night at Greg's. But um, bottom line is, film's okay. 
a lot of people are lambasting the living shit out of it, like absolutely tearing it to pieces. But it's kind of like it's kind of like getting pissed off at the Care Bears movie because there's not like a deep, rich emotional narrative and there's not you know soul wrenching scenes. This is a kid's first horror film, okay? This they call it bloodless and soulless and scare free. No. It's spooky to people who have barely started puberty, so just let them have it, guys. Is it entertaining? Yes. Is it a horror movie for people that are into horror movies? Fucking no. But it's entertaining. And without a shadow of a doubt, our old mate, uh, Scooby-Doo, fucking Shaggy. I keep forgetting his name. Matthew Lillard? Yeah, Lillard. He's amazing. I would watch him do anything. And uh, I can't let... Just, if you do watch the film, keep an eye on what he does. He does a really great callback to Scream, which is just... Mwah. He, You can tell he did it just for the older fans. who will be like, oh, I remember that. But um, it's worth watching for the sake of just having a laugh. Don't take it seriously. If you have a loved one who hates horror movies, get them to watch this one and just sell it. Do you want to watch a horror movie that forgot to be scary? <laughs> and they'll probably get into it. Get some snacks, have a laugh. It should have been marketed as a comedy, and then the older generation would have loved it, and then the younger fans would have been like, oh, but it's so spooky. Um, Special shout-out, Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Holy crap, the animatronics look awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Did a great job. That is surprising. It, it's They look Not way better. Not that Jim better. Henson did a good job, but that it's I know, in this movie. <laughs> well, apparently the, the development hell led to Scott Cawthorn basically like picking up the phone and saying... That's it. I'm coming down there to sort this shit out. Like, apparently there was massive rewrites. There was changes to things. Like, he basically said, I'm not letting you fuck this up. And he came to set and sorted it out. So, there you go. Very nice. All right. Ash. Sorry. Uh, James, Adam, and Nathan, you got anything you want to share for off topics before we head? I watched The Boogeyman, which is a random... Oh. Recently released horror film that I found on Disney I've been Plus. Meaning to when watch that. Mm-hmm. Key and I were doing the doom scroll of we should watch something, and then spent fucking thirty minutes trying to find something, and oh, then we were like, ah, fuck it, we'll just watch this. Um, surprisingly, not shit. I I kind of liked it. It was mm-hmm. it had a, a good bit of atmosphere. There were some decent scares. Um, the monster was pretty creepy. The acting was okay. So ultimately, it was pretty good. The the ending's fucking dog shit, but that's kind of par for the course with the, those kind the of end ending or movies. the final confrontation. Final uh, final confrontation. Okay. No, sorry. I, I, no, no, no. The end ending. the The confrontation I didn't mind so much. The end yeah. ending, I yes. was like, ah, fucking. Why did you have to? Uh, agreed. Su- super. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, but I did like the movie as well. Um, yeah. I, I had a, a good time with it. I think, I mean, it helps. I went in with fucking bottomed out expectations. Is there anybody in there that we'd recognize? Any any famous faces? The girl from the Book of Boba Fett is the lead. (laughs) So that's... Yes. Yes, she is. Also, was that John Bernthal? Or is it the guy that looks like John Bernthal? It's the guy that looks like John Bernthal. Cool. But I'm glad you understand what I'm driving at. Yes, I know exactly who you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Not John Bernthal. That's all I had. Non-Bernthal. I have been catching up on some of the really decent like A tier programming on Prime Video. You know, occasionally it has some mm-hmm. some golden ones. It's recently acquired 
series called Pantheon, which was initially a one-season release at AMC, was cancelled. So this adult animation is actually a really neat, high-concept sci-fi thriller. Uh, it's got Paul Dano, it's got Ron Livingston, Daniel Day Kim, um, Aaron Eckhart. Like, it's got a really all-star cast. It's animated in a way that reminds me a lot of Invincible. Might even be the same studio. It looks very similar. And this is just a series about... Uh, it, it plays on a lot of... It's, it's a post-COVID tale where the, the real risk is not AI, artificial intelligence. The risk is uploaded intelligence. So um, really forward-pushing um, tech companies are sort of like on the down low... Uh, uploading people's brains wholesale like just like scanning them but in the doing so obliterating them so it's it's the death of a human but uploading their consciousness these consciousnesses are usually like big hackers or engineers that are supposed to like really push forward um you know data engineering and stuff like that in ways that ai haven't quite grasped because they lack sentience but they break out of their molds and effectively start plotting the end of the world because they've got they are gods effectively they're the gods in the system it plays a lot on like ghost in the shell and stuff like that um it just with its with prime acquisition got a second season i think it's only going to be two seasons but the storytelling is fucking exceptional uh the the cast that they've got is brilliant and very well acted and just as a high concept sci-fi thriller this could have easily been a real like a live action series but the fact that they've gone for the adult animation angle allows them to pursue a lot higher concept than they normally would have with those budgetary constraints so it's brilliant and the other thing on prime is swarm the new series from donald glover uh it's like a satirical horror comedy uh where the premise is basically a, a rabid fan of what is a Beyonce proxy stand-in. So in this series, it's a it's a 26 or 28 Grammy award-winning artist called Niger, but it's effectively Beyonce. She goes postal and what that entails. And it's actually fucking brilliant. And what really got me is in my playlists on YouTube, music's where I normally go to, my algorithm for like Danny Brown and JPEG Mafia has been putting in this music from Naja and who I just assumed was an artist. You know, I've been... These these tunes are fucking catchy. Didn't realize it was a bit of meta marketing from the series where they actually dropped an album for this Beyonce-like artist and the, the tracks are actually fucking brilliant. Uh, yeah, I really, really enjoy that. If you enjoyed Atlanta, this is very much in that sort of distinct visual style. It gets a little unusual, but it was a, a brilliant like five hours or so. Cool. Nice. Solid. James, solid, you got solid. anything? Uh, I platinumed Lies of P. Um, that was good. Oh, that's about it. Nice. Brutal. Yes, I had. There's a, a boss at the very end of that game that is the real quote unquote final boss, and that thing is a fucking monster. I hated it. I had to do it twice because I fucked up my save scrubbing. So, but look, you know that's what I get. Mm. Ooh, that reminds me, I gotta gotta convene the council real quick for my quick switcheroo on the backlog because we're very close to nearing oh, that point in the year i yeah. want to propose i don't know quite how this works i know what i want to propose i'm not quite sure how the swapping out works i want to do dark souls 3 in the dlc i never rolled credits on dark souls 3 and that always felt like a big missing point for me i always got a lot way through it but never quite rolled credits okay uh, what are you so swapping I out I, see i've got initially wanted to switch out um what is it like bloodstained curse of the moon or whatever it is the oh, the metroidvania oh. game because the start of that is just breaking me like that is so much harder than i was anticipating but then also like there's divinity original sin too and if i'm going to do 
the DLC, the equivalency would be Divinity Original Sin 2. I'm playing Baldur's Gate 3. There's no way I'm finishing Original Sin say, 2 this how year. How are you finding time for Divinity Original Sin between now and the end of the year? There's, that's, there's simply no way. That, yeah, that's no. not possible. But uh, Dark Souls 3, at least I've already got a bit of a head start in, the, in so much as I've already got some of that earlier game memorised pretty happily, mm-hmm. so I'll speed through that. Uh, if you're throwing in DLC, I will sign it off. Give it a tick. Bloody oath. I'm always down yeah, for mate. people playing more FromSoft. Go for it. Beautiful. Very cool. Uh, one last thing that you did remind me of, Nathan, when you said Amazon Prime. Uh, I started The Continental. What's the first? I episode? watched that too. I didn't love it. Oh. I am... Like the, I enjoyed the <laughs> third episode, but there's so much build-up. Yeah, I mean, I've watched so the first one, slow. and it seems fine. You know, I like the John Wick shit, so... Simple. See how you feel. So you, you haven't like finished it? recent John Wick? I like them all. Okay. I, I think the fourth was my favourite, which I know James wasn't blown away by. Controversial. Right. I remember. All right, cool. Let's wrap it up there. Uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode, this week's chonky episode of the Well Played DLC podcast. You can check out the content on www.well-played.com.au. James and I have an interview with Broken, uh, sorry, with Drop Bear Bites about Broken Roads. And yeah, check out all the cool shit and let's fucking celebrate when we'll be playing the day before. Have a hey. great <laughs> weekend. And see you in the sauna. Yeah, it, baby. Just getting Bring your here. avatar. Bye. Take off all your <laughs> clothes. Bring your Shut avatar. Shut up, Zach. I'm gone. <laughs> Bye. Bye.